Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. Welcome to the Veterans Path Podcast. I'm John McCaskill, your host, and today my guest is Wendy Emminger. Wendy is a 2003 graduate of the United States Air Force Academy. She played soccer there and went on to lead and fly in the Air Force. Wendy ended up battling with depression and then found para-yoga, which she attributes to saving and transforming her life. We'll get into that here in a second, but first, this episode is brought to you by Past Life. Life can change at any moment. Are you prepared? The grief a family feels upon losing a loved one is difficult enough, but the days, weeks, and months that follow are filled with stressful decisions. Past Life is a single solution, secure, cloud-based platform where funeral preparations, last wishes, will information, financial assets, business continuation information, social media account information, etc. can be uploaded to the recipients of the user's choosing. Past Life allows you to alleviate the stress and lift the fog for your loved ones, primarily by giving them a vital trove of information in multiple areas. Veterans Path podcast listeners can save 10% by using the code PATH at checkout. Learn more at pastlife.com. That's pass-life.com. Past Life. Pass your loved ones a lifeline. And now, on to the show. All right. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this. I love what you're doing, what you're you're getting out there doing with Veterans Path, and I'm excited to talk about talk about some things. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, and uh, I definitely appreciate people like yourself coming on the show, who are willing to share their stories, so that we can, like we said before, I hit the record button, break that stigma that surrounds seeking mental health support. So before we get into your story of getting to mental health support, getting into yoga, getting into meditation. If we could just get a little background on what brought you into the military and then what your journey looked like as you came into the military. Yeah, so it's an interesting story. When I was, um, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. And when I was in high school, my junior year, um, one of my really good friends, brother, um, was a year ahead of me, went to the Air Force Academy and he came back and told me, hey, you should look into it. And honestly, service academies weren't on my radar at all. Um, and so my parents were like, absolutely not. Go take your full ride to ASU and U of A. Like, we don't want you to go into the military. And I knew I wanted to do something different. Like it just, I kind of had a calling to, to you know, to, to go serve. And so I decided to go to the Air Force Academy and there I studied um, biology for um, four years. So I was a bio major and you know, I initially wanted to be a, a doctor. I wanted to go into medicine um, and that's kind of where I was tracking. And then they offered me a pilot slot and I was like, you know, I can always go back to medical school. I can always 
that's something I can pick up later in life, but I can't always go back and do Air Force pilot training. So I jumped on it. Um, it wasn't my dream to be a pilot, but I really enjoyed my time. I flew the KC-10. And so I was stationed at Travis Air Force Base, McGuire Air Force Base. Um, so, and I deployed around, I think eight times uh, to the Middle East. Um, so a lot of, spent a lot of time in the desert. Um, but the beauty of the KC-10 was I got, to, I got to see the world. You know, I really got to travel all over. And I got to, re I, what I realized from that is that we're all a lot more alike than we are different. Like when we take the time to like sit down and get to know each other, you know, there, there's a lot more similarities than there are differences. I just wish people did that more often because it would open up a whole, you know, another view of the world. And honestly, I think it'd make the world a better place. Um, and yeah, so that's one, that's one thing um, the, about the military. And then do you want me to talk about a little bit more? So I, I, I had the opportunity to go to NATO, um, an assignment in Germany, and it was a AWACS assignment there. And I was the executive officer for two star general. And it was a wonderful experience, 16 different countries uh, coming together operationally, flying a plane. And so again, just that interaction with getting to know people from different countries was just a fantastic opportunity. Um, they sent me to Monterey uh, to learn German. And then I attended the German staff college in Hamburg, Germany, which was another fantastic uh, experience. And it was there that I actually um, got hit with a severe case of depression, which I was medically um, retired from the military. So. so you're in Germany now and, and you, well, you're in Germany now, actually physically you're sitting Correct. in Germany as, as we're speaking, but the, the part in your story where you're hit with that, that bout of severe depression, how did you notice that coming on and what did you do about it initially? So for me, it hit me just immediately. Um, I was actually um, going through fertility treatment at the time, trying to have a child and maybe that could have played into it, the, the hormones that could have possibly played into it, but it just hit me um, immediately. And it drastically affected me to the term, to, to the point where I, I couldn't sleep um, mm. at all for, for months, like literally could not sleep. Um, I couldn't eat. I lost over 30 pounds. Um, I had constant suicidal thoughts running through my head. And I'm, I wasn't, I wasn't th thinking these thoughts, like they were just there. Like I would see a crane and my mind would say, climb up, jump off. I'd see a bridge throw mm. yourself over the edge. I mean, I would be driving through the, the front gate and my mind would tell me, grab the gun from the guard and and shoot yourself in the head and so I my mind wow. was actively encouraging me to carry these things out and so I was having to um consciously like you know try to try to stop them and so it got to the point where I was under my, my parents and my wife had to put me under 24-hour surveillance and so this went on for a couple of years and in in all actuality the reason it got so bad I mean it was bad but the reason it got so bad was because of, like we talked about, the stigma of, you know, seeking out mental health help. I didn't want to because my whole life I've been able to overcome and do things on my own. And to me, that was strength. Um, but but when I reflect on it now, you know, it takes strength to ask for help. You know, that's the true strength was when you can say I need help and you can can pick yourself up to go get it. And so I didn't do that initially for a long time. And so my worry worsened. And eventually 
you know the saying you worry yourself sick there's something to that like I worried myself into full-blown psychosis to the point where I thought I was going to jail for the rest of my life I called my mom on the phone frantically she flew over from the states because I I really did I had convinced myself and I, I didn't do anything but I had convinced myself that I had done something wrong when I hadn't and so I I actually had lost complete touch with reality and wow. I think that tells us that there's something in the mind, you know, that is, that is powerful when it's working, when we're working in unison with it, you know, it can, it can make great things happen. But when we, when we aren't, it can, it can take us to the point where, you know, drive us to death. And so, yeah, the mind, the mind is, the mind is a very, very uh, powerful beast. So yeah. and that's when we get in, I like the way you said no, it's when we get, it's when we get into, um, you know, the concept of mindfulness, right? And so when I, when I was super down and just trying to find anything I could to get myself out of this hole, um, I started researching different um, therapies and I found DBT. So dialectic behavioral therapy from Marshall Linehan. And it was initially created for people with borderline personality disorder who were extremely suicidal. And I not just bought the manual for the students, I also bought the manual for the therapists. And so, you know, I'm studying it and reading up on it. And she talks about, um, she studied with a Zen master for years and, and, and that's where a lot of these principles that she put into this therapy, but she, she talks about these two different things of acceptance and change. And they're radically different, right? Like they're, they're two things, but she says that in order to change, you have to radically accept your situation. You have to radically accept where you're at. And so that for me was um, a point where I was like, aha, like the point that I was able to start healing from my depression was the point where I said, my, I had to give up, radically accept that I was not going to be that person that I was holding on to, that, that pilot or that military member. I had to radically accept that that I was gonna be different on the other side of this. And then I could start growing and, and, and changing and recovering. And so I think sometimes we, we have this mindset that you just need to fight and push harder and push harder. But honestly, this sounds may sound funny, but I had to surrender and like give in to be able to grow. Yeah. Um, and so for me, that was a, a, huge, a, a huge point and a realization point that, that um, allowed me to to grow. And, and that's kind of where I found yoga. So at the same point, I'm finding this DBT um, therapy and I go to yoga training and my mom comes with me. I, I drug her with me and because she, I was under 24 hour surveillance and she ended up liking it. Like she enjoyed, you know, we would, we did the more like Zen type yoga, not the, so much the asana and the postures. And that's the first time in two years that I found my breath again. So my, my, my breath had been constrained to, you know, like my, my neck and my upper chest, and I finally could breathe again. And in that moment where I could find my breath again, tears just started like falling down my face. Like I just, it was like this, okay, okay, we got this, you know, we're, we're going to find our way out. And then that's, that's where the healing started. And that's when I started, you know what, I'm going to study yoga and, and I'm going to get into it and, and understand it more. And what I found is it's like, it's a science and it's, it's really the science of life. You know, like there's, we think in the West of yoga as just the asanas and the postures, but there's so much more to it with the, the pranayama. So the breath work and the mindfulness, okay. and there's just, it, it's a way to 
radically like grow as an individual. And so that's kind of where I'm taking, I'm opening a business or planning on opening. No, I am. I'm opening a business. I am in the process of, of, yeah, I'm in the process of purchasing um, property right now in Portugal. Um, And it's going to be the Eminger, uh, Eminger leadership and, um, (laughs) and, and yoga Institute. And so I'm nice. working on a keynote. We working on a keynote speech right now that will eventually lead to a book. And it's self-realization is the key to self-fulfillment. Um, how the science of yoga can make you a more resilient and fulfilled leader. So I'm ta- I'm taking the principles, my life lessons of leadership throughout the military and throughout playing competitive sports because I played four years at the academy. I also played, I think, six years on the all armed forces team. And so I have those leadership experiences with sports. And then I'm going to tie that in in, into what I've learned from yoga, because when I'm going through this yoga, I'm like, wow, this stuff doesn't just apply to like, you know, getting stretching and you can apply this everywhere. Like you can apply these principles to leadership. You can apply the, I mean, in the military, anywhere, like it can just make you a better, more fulfilled person. And, and so I want everybody to experience that. And so that's, that's my goal is to try to, nice. I'd like to target like, you know, CEOs or senior leaders within the corporate world, because I think that is a key place where, especially in these times right now, right? It's, it's kind of unnerving and crisis and, and nobody really knows like how to, how do I go forward? I leaders are like we don't know where we're going um, with with COVID and how it's going to affect our business model. And and it's okay for them to say, I I don't know right now. You know, no. I we're going to figure it out together. And that's where I think empathy comes in, leading with empathy, and and it's going to be a huge piece of going forward. So yeah, that's how I got to that's how I got to yoga. That's how I got to mindfulness. It was it was a journey, Perfect. but I'm happy yeah. with that. Uh, it sounds like it, and, uh, and and I kept writing down little questions that I was going to ask, and then you would answer them. <laughs> so that's that's perfect. Um, but there are a few things I, I want to come back to. First off, um, you mentioned um, playing sports, and I think it was soccer. You didn't you didn't mm-hmm. explicitly say soccer, but just for our listeners, it was soccer, correct? That you played. Correct. Yeah, and then um, as as you started to really get into that depression and you weren't sleeping and I know that's just a downward spiral as you stop sleeping you start to think those psychotic thoughts and and negative self-talk and suicidal thoughts and Mm -hmm. and you know and and then it just makes you not sleep even more because you're you're telling yourself all these things horrible things um but coming back to you're getting medically discharged how long was it between when you started to feel the depression and you went to seek help, if there was any seeking help and what did that look like? And then once you did try to seek help, what did the process look like for you to get medically discharged for depression? So it took me a while to seek help. And that's, that's, Part, part of the problem. So I would say October 17 is when it hit. And the first time I really brought it up to the Air Force, I want to say maybe six months later, um, I tried to hide and, and, and not um, bring it up. And even it was my annual physical and I'm, you know, do I really tell them how it is? And, and honestly, I wasn't as forthright in the beginning in terms of how bad it was. Like, I think we, we tend to try to downplay things because we're worried, right? Like how mm-hmm. is the military going to respond to this? Um, 
and and so I did kind of downplay it at first. Then it worsened, and I actually got to the point where I got um, hospitalized. And after that, the Air Force, I was remote at this time in Germany and Hamburg, fairly remote. So they had to bring me six hours back. Action plan or a treatment plan um, going forward. And it took, it, it, it took, it took a long time. So eventually they, what I can, what I can say is that the, the Air Force handled it well in terms of they were, they wanted to get me back and they wanted to keep me in, you know, they, it wasn't, they, they were seeking to rehabilitate me, not to just discharge me. So they were trying, they tried everything that they could in, in that regard. I don't ever feel like I was at all treated negatively for coming forward. So I think that that aspect, at least in the Air Force, I can't speak for the whole military, is is moving in the right direction. That mental health isn't being viewed as a weakness, or it's not being viewed as oh well, we got to get this person out. They're actually, you know, working now to rehabilitate people. Um, and so they sent me back for an outpatient therapy in Arizona, um, but I just wasn't getting better, you know. And eventually, while I while I was waiting so they started the medical board and they actually moved me back to Arizona to Luke Air Force Base where I didn't really I was attached to the medical unit while I was going through the um, the medical board proceedings and getting therapy and multiple I mean they were giving me as much therapy as I you know asked for they were just trying to help me in, in any way that they could and so during that um, during that time it took a while I mean I think it took almost a year or so you know until I the, the board proceedings all the way went through from the time I started and announced. So it wasn't a really, really super quick thing. It, it took some time, but I was, I was getting treatment and I was, you know, I felt like I was taken care of. The being remote initially made it, I think, very hard. And I think it made it difficult for the Air Force because they didn't really know. I don't want to say they didn't know what to do with me, but it was just logistically a challenging thing. They didn't have direct eyes on me, you know, and that I think sure. that is part of the reason that I was able to kind of get through it. It would have been noticed a lot quicker and probably reported a lot quicker if I was in a in an assignment. And that all comes back then to, you know, me. I, I should have came forward sooner. And I probably, if I had, I don't think that it would have gotten as bad as it did. And so right. in retrospect, when I look back on it, I mean, I, I just want people to, the minute they notice that something's going on, you know, go seek help. Like, just don't let, because it can accelerate so quickly and you don't even know that it's happening. My wife had to, watched me like go through this and she saw me just continuing to deteriorate and deteriorate. And she wanted me to go check in to an inpatient facility. And I just wouldn't, and she couldn't force me to, right? Like yeah. I was like, no, my career, my, I, I, I can't, I, I, I'm afraid. I was afraid and I shouldn't have been. So I almost lost my life because I was stubborn and afraid um, and wouldn't be here talk, talking to you today. So, yeah. 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 And I know like one of the fears is, is, Hey, I don't want to be judged or I don't want to lose my security clearance and right. all that. And, and the, <laughs> like, if you're thinking rationally and you think, okay, well, I'm going on this downward spiral. And if I seek help, 
I'm going to lose my security clearance, which I don't think is the case most of the time now if you're going to seek help uh, for, for mental challenges or if you're just trying to keep mental, what I call mental fitness. Um, right. But if, if you're thinking rationally and, and you don't seek help there, then you're going to go further down that downward spiral and you're going to lose everything anyway. So right. why not seek help? Um, yeah. so, so your wife, is she military as well? No, she's not, but she's familiar. She worked um, as a NATO civilian. civilian. So she's okay. um, familiar with the military environment. Okay. Yeah. yeah I was just going to ask about that, that understanding of, of the stigma of mental health within the military. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned that it's gotten better or that, you know, the Air Force really took care of you as you were going through that process. And even more so that you referenced your being remote because there are so many military members working remote right now, which is, you know, not anything that we all thought was going to happen, but with COVID right. this, uh, there are a lot of, there are a lot of members, military members working from home. So they're not getting that weekly or daily check-in with their, their command, like physically, right. They're not there physically. And so seeking that mental health support via remote means is, is difficult. Um, so I'm glad that it worked out for you. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. So thank you for that. Um, Can the, I speak to that real quick? Is it please? Because I just do. wanted to, I want to piggyback on what you just said, because I also think that as the military, we're going to have more challenges as we're continuing to go remote. Because I mean, the Air Force is even talking about making that, you know, a normal aspect of things. And like you said, we're not going to have that daily check-in to be able to look somebody in the eyes and say, hey, are you okay, man? We're not going to be able to see that um, maybe deterioration happening as leaders. And so we're, we're going to need to get creative, right? We're going to need to like maybe have check-ins on Zoom or just yeah. find different ways or stop in at somebody's home. You know what I mean? We're just going to, as leaders, we're going to have to get creative with how we take care of our people in the future because that, that is going to change. And so- 100%. Um, hundred percent. It's going to be incumbent upon the leaders uh, to be very intentional about doing that. It's it, you know, check-ins when you're physically located together can almost be passive. You you can walk by a desk and see, you know, okay, that person's probably doing okay. It's not always hundred percent accurate, but you kind of get an idea of the pulse of a of a individual pulse of an organization just by being together. Whereas when you're remote like you mentioned, you're going to have to get creative. You're going to have to be very intentional, check in uh, with your, with your people, uh, have, have some type of system set up when people are hurting that they can leverage one another. Um, yeah, it's, it's a different world. I just retired in August. Um, and just, you know, the last six months that I was in the Navy, um, I was working, well, primarily I was working for Veterans Path, but even when I was working for the Navy, I was working remote. Um, and, you know, those parts and those aspects of things didn't really hit me. So I know that as this pandemic gets protracted um, and, and just goes, goes on longer and longer, we're going to have more people feeling isolated. The depression and everything is going to be more acute more intense. So we, we, again, as leaders are going to have to be more creative and very, very intentional about checking in on our, our folks. Um, you talked about the radical acceptance uh, and, and the, the difference and the change that you have to accept that in yourself. And I think that's also a great point that you hit on as 
military service members are transitioning, so many of us hang our identity on that uniform, right? And uh, especially as you've been in longer and longer, that that really becomes part of who you are. Um, what would you recommend for a transitioning service member to deal with that radical change? Yeah, so I just did, it's very interesting. I did this, um, it's called Four Desires Training. And it's like this yoga book that my, the training I'm going through talks about. And it's like finding, there's four desires in life that help us find what is our life purpose or in terms of what do, what do we want to do? Who do we want to be? And there were, the training was super interesting, like had some fairly radical things. Like I had to write my obituary from a third person perspective. So from like my best friend, I had to write my best friend writing my obituary. And in that, like I was able to find, because when you're writing in third person, it's easier to maybe get some stuff out than if you were, you know, saying it yourself. So what did that, what was that person going to say about me at my funeral? And, um, it helps you figure out like what you value and like what you really want to be. And I think that's what we need to do is design our lives around what we want to be. And, and the military will always be a part of me and, and people transitioning will always be a part of them. And if they want to continue doing things with the military, I mean, look what you're doing. You can put that passion in, in different ways. So you can stay tied to the military. My one thing of advice is, do what you want to do. And in order to do that, you need to figure out what you want to do. Like what really <laughs> makes you happy and passionate and, and there's dig deep. Like, is it spend more time with your family or is it open a nonprofit or is it, you know, but, but take the time to do the work because, and start doing that early, like while you, before you, before you transition out. So you have something to transition to, you know, that's kind yeah. of, kind of where my advice I would give. So just, just dig deep, do, do what you want to do. You have like a, you have a plate, it's an open door. You can drive your future and you don't have to go into the defense jobs or the contractor jobs. You don't have to follow what everyone else has followed or what people think you should do. Do what you want to do. Right. That's my advice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, nothing against the, the contractor jobs or the defense industry um, after, but, but definitely there there is, uh, for lack of a better term right now, that's, that's an easy button. Hey, I'm going to go do out of uniform what I was doing in uniform or something very similar. And that's, that's all well and good if that's what you truly want to do. And you're not just going that route because it's the easy button. And um, I, I went through that. Uh, there was a part of me that thought, hey, I'm just going to do contract work or I'm going to become a contractor or GS or something within the military. Um, and then I started looking at some bright and shiny objects on the outside that were in the private sector, um, private equity, um, venture capital, commercial real estate, all these things. But luckily, <laughs> at the same time, I had mindfulness and meditation. I had started practicing. And it, bu it bubbled to the surface that none of that was stuff that I was passionate about. Again, nothing against those jobs, but it's just not anything that was right here in my heart, nothing that I wanted to do. So I think you make a great point in that you say, you, you should do what you want to do, but in order to do what you want to do, you need to know what you want to do. And that takes that deep, almost uncomfortable 
introspective work. So yeah. uh, perfect, perfect recommendation there. And I fully, I fully uh, support that. The, and the four desires you mentioned, was that a book? It is. Um, I actually have it sitting here. So nice. it's, it's, it's right. Four Desires is by, by Rod Stryker. It's just, I mean, it's, it's an interesting book. It's kind of a tool to help you figure out what that, what that, um, what your passion is. And it's a, it's a little bit spiritual nice. here and there. It, it, I mean, it's, it's based on the yoga desires and you can kind of, you know, dig deep. There's some action stuff, some, some meditation cool. pieces that, that he has you meditate on certain things that helps maybe bring you to some conclusion. So it's that, it helps you do that deep dive into yourself to kind of yeah. like what's really, what's really going on in there. So it's so important. So important. So thank you for that recommendation. I'll make sure yeah. that's in the, uh, in the show notes as well. Um, okay, so getting back to your finding yoga, and now that has definitely, it seems as though that is what you want to do. You've identified what you want to do um, in, in your future with the keynote and the book and the business. Sounds like you've got a lot of irons in the fire. Um, talk to me about para yoga. You mentioned that in the notes uh, before we spoke. Yeah, so I'm I'm doing interesting. I'm doing two yoga trainings concurrently right now. So I'm doing a yoga life 200 hour. That's the basic teacher training. But I actually kind of did it backwards. I started with this uh, para yoga advanced teacher training, and it's a, a 300 hour training. And I'm, that's where I'm doing those modules as well. So I'm doing two different trainings concurrently um, right now. And through para yoga, I also did a yoga nidra training. And I don't know if you are familiar with it at all, but <laughs> I am. <laughs> ah, look at that. Yep. So, I mean, this has been um, fantastic for me. And that's where I also found a lot of guidance and clarity in my life was when I was doing this yoga nidra training. And honestly, like, this sounds weird, but the universe just started like putting me in touch with people, like opening doors, like things just kind of started working. Like when you're doing what you want to be doing or what you're supposed to be doing or what you love, it's just like it, it, things happen. And so yoga nidra, what I love about it is it says there's, we have the waking state, the um, dreaming state, the sleeping state. And so essentially you take yourself into the sleeping state, but you're aware of it. So sometimes you can then find answers to things or maybe just awareness on things that you wouldn't normally, that are normally blocked in your subconscious. So it's kind of allowing or hopefully allowing your subconscious to surface a little bit. And so it's, it's really helped me. I try to do that at least once a day before I go nice. to bed. And then my um, daily routine, because of para yoga, um, the first course teaches you how to design um, training based on what your type of person is. So, because you can adjust the yoga session to, you know, different people and different body types and, you know, different there's all, there's different ways to, to, to do that. And so I created my own for myself that works. And every morning when I wake up, I do, you know, a short morning asana session. So that's the postures. And then I go into pranayama, which is the breath work, because that's where you can really build energy. And then I go into a meditation. And so my, my daily routine is in the morning I wake up and it's, you know, it starts my day on the right, the right path. And it allows me to just kind of ground myself, like get, get into myself, ground, get ready for the day. And then, you know, I'm way more focused when I move forward. And so it's, I do it regularly. I, and I, I've definitely seen the benefits of it. So. 
That's how. And there's some days that I don't have as much time, right? But I can adjust it. Like I can cut out, you know, yeah. the asanas and just do a short meditation. You know, it I, it's flexible. You know, and some days I want more, and I do it a little longer. So that's the beauty of it. Is but the key is doing it regularly, whether it doesn't have to be a lot, but just doing it consistently. You know, if you just do five minutes of meditation or mindfulness and even a minute, like just consistently start to do something and you will see the benefits. That's absolutely. That's nice. Yes. Yeah, it's just like, uh, it's just like going to the gym, you know, consistency. Yeah, yeah. If you go to, the, if yeah. you go to the gym and, and, you know, you crush two hours at the gym, but then you don't go back to the gym for another month, that two hours was a complete waste. Yeah. Whereas if you go to the gym for, you know, 20 minutes, but you do that every day for two months, okay. you're going to start to see the, be the benefits. Um, so absolutely, it's 100% the same. And I fully support people when they're getting started to start small, start easy yeah. and, and work their way up. Again, also just like the gym, you can't jump into a super yeah. intense workout you can't jump into a super intense meditation because a lot of the time when you're starting out if you haven't practiced before you try to do an hour you sit down and try to do an hour right off the bat your mind is going to go all over the place and you're yeah. going to come out of that and you're going to be like that was a complete waste of time i can't meditate i can't i can't do yoga i can't do i rest or yoga nidra um and and it's huge just to start small and work your way up, but also stay consistent because it's a cumulative effect that you get from it. So uh, I love that. I, I totally, can I jump on that too? Cause I Please. totally 100% agree with you. When I started meditation, I was like, I hate this. I can't <laughs> do it. My mind is all over the place. There's no way I will ever be able to slow my mind down or train my mind. My mind is just this way you know, and I would get frustrated with it. And it took, but I stuck with it. And I just did it a little bit at a time. And now I crave it. Like now I'm when I meditate, I don't want to leave the meditation. Like I, that, that piece, you know, of, of, of mind, it's just then you don't want to leave that peaceful place. But it took me a long time to be able to really get there. And but I just like you said, consistency, small little pieces, and you just keep working right. a little at a time. And I had this awesome, so in my yoga um, train, teacher training this past weekend, we did a silent observer weekend. And so from Friday afternoon until Sunday afternoon, I couldn't talk at all to, to nobody, to my dogs, to my wife, to, you know, and, and I'm in the city and I have to try to go order food. And, you know, I'm just like ordering, pointing, you know, I, I didn't talk, but what I noticed, what I noticed with that was the biggest takeaway was that. I started seeing things that I ignored most of the time, you know, like just there were acts of love all over the place, people hugging each other, people holding hands like, you know, we think sometimes that the world is bad or it's negative. But when when you when you stop being on your phone or doing this or that and are more mindful of what's going on around you, like truly mindful, you see beauty and things that you wouldn't normally see. And even like the, the tiles on the ground, there was grass like growing in between them. And, it, and you, those are things that I've never noticed. I would have just walked right by it. But, but I, that, those, over the course of those two days, I was just seeing everything, like the birds playing. And it sounds funny and it may sound a little trivial, but in that moment when I was being quiet for three days, it was just like, boom, like it, it really hit me. 
Um, I had no phone. I didn't look at the news. I didn't write a text message. Like I went blank for three days of just introspection. And, and what I noticed when you take, my yoga teacher said, when you take out one of the senses so you can no longer talk, your other senses become more not enlightened, but they, they, you know, they have more awareness. And so when I sure. came home and I heard music, the music, which I normally don't have a problem with and love, it was like almost like lo too loud for me. So it was driving um, my body, you know, my body in a different way. Cause I took away one sense and the other two are heightened. And so it's just, it, it's cool. Anyways, that's my, my, my point yeah. is that my mindfulness, if you do it and you take time with it, it just, it, it has the possibility to open up a whole new world that you've been blinded or just not seeing. Like it's beautiful out there. You just need to take the time to appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. And I could not agree <laughs> with you more. And, and what a time to really practice that so that you can see that beauty. And as you mentioned, you know, we are more alike than we are different. And right now, and I know you're sitting in Germany, but here in the US, there seems to be a lot of a lot of feelings as though we're we are all at odds and we're all so different that we cannot come together as as one country. And if we knew that beauty, if we stopped and were just quiet for a little while and we saw that we were in fact more alike than we are different, then we could come together peacefully and and heal. Because I think the country Heck, I think the world needs to heal uh, at spiritually, emotionally, and 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 as a as as a human race. Um, <laughs> talking about, you know, you you mentioned seeing beauty, and maybe that seems a little flowery or a little a little hokey or whatever. Maybe that maybe what I just said seems a little hokey, but I think truly, if we could find some way to see one another as human beings have that compassion, have that empathy that you referenced earlier. What a, what a difference this, what a difference that would make to this world. So yeah, I, can I jump yeah. on that real quick too? Cause uh, I have a, always. so, so my, because, I, because I, I love what you just said and I 100% like, and it's, it's spot on. Cause I, um, my yoga teacher, when I told him that um, I was in class and I said, oh yeah, I was talking to the class. And I was like, if we took the more time to get to know each other, the world would be a better place. And he's like, yeah, I agree that. I agree with that. But let me add something to that. He goes, I think that if the world took more time, if, if people took more time to get to know themselves, the mm -hmm. world would be a better place. And I think I was like, dang like that that was like that aha moment that self-realization like when we dig into ourselves it takes digging into yourself before you can see those similarities that you have with other people you know and right. i think that's where this all of this this mindfulness and this yoga and this meditation it's it's bringing us to understand ourselves better and then we can connect with other people better when we do that and so yeah, yeah. That, that that is this what you're doing is the step to make the world a better place i think so what we're doing what we're doing yeah 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 <laughs> Absolutely. so and, and i'm going to jump on what you what you just said you know you have to know yourself right sure i fully agree with that you have to know yourself you have to know what it is that makes your you tick so you can kind of go after that you find what you want um but you also have to take care of yourself first and a lot of people in the military um you went to the Air Force Academy. I went to the Naval Academy. At, at, at the Naval Academy, there's uh, at, at, when you're going through plebe year, so like your like your duly year, we have the plebe yes. year. Um, you you have 
different ways of eating. You can eat trucker style, which is you like you're in a hurry and you just have wolf down everything or you, or yeah, exactly. Or you eat Marine, Marine Corps style and Marine Corps style is you let everybody else that, that kind of works for you eat first and then you eat, which I think there's a, I think there's a great honor in that, you know, taking care of your people first. I think there's a lot of honor in that, but in the long run, eventually you're going to burn out and you're not going to be able to take care of those who are under your care. So it's very important that you take care of yourself. So you, one, we talked about, hey, it would be great if we all knew one another and you know we're closer. And I think it's also important that you know yourself, but it's also very important that you're taking care of yourself, which is about this, this what, what, what this whole show is about, taking care of yourself physically, mentally, mentally, spiritually, all the different aspects that make you a whole. And if you're not taking care of those, then you fall apart and then you can't do any good for anyone. So, uh, yeah, uh, I definitely yeah, like, no, I, like that, how, I like how we riffed off one another. <laughs> yeah. And, and my, my yoga teacher this last week, he said, you need to be selfish. You yeah. need, and that sounds funny coming from a yoga teacher, right? We think that yogis are all selfless and this and that, but he's like, no, you need to be selfish and take care of yourself first. Find out what gives you energy, what makes you work, you know, you need right. to Take care of yourself, just like you said, before you can help anybody else out. It's yep. the whole oxygen map principle too, it's, right? Exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. That's what I think about all the time is, you know, I, like I've got kids, I've got, I've got two little ones and I know you've got, uh, I, I could tell that you're in your, your you have yeah. one, one kid? Yeah, one, yeah, yeah. daughter. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and yeah. right. And when I, when I fly, I, I always think, man, if those masks drop, the first instinct is you're going to, you're going to want to put it on your child. But yeah. as soon as you, you try to do that, right, you, you, let's say it's an extreme case and there's no oxygen, you pass out. Now your kid's not going to have that mask either. So, right. you know, and, and the analogy, the metaphor, whatever you want to call it, that in life, if you're not taking care of yourself as a parent, you're not going to be able to take care of your kids. If you're not taking care of yourself as a leader in the, in the military or an organization, you're not going to be able to take care of those who are under you. So it's, it's huge to, to really be... In being selfish in a weird way, it's counterintuitive. In being selfish, you're really being selfless because then you do, you, you afford yourself the opportunity to take care of those that are under you. So uh, awesome. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, what have we not spoken about, Wendy, that, that you want to make sure our listeners hear? You know, I... I think we, we, we hit everything that, you know, I wanted to talk about. So I'm, I'm very happy uh, with, with what's going on. I'm thinking, no, I, I feel, I feel real good about this. I feel, I, I feel like we, I loved how we connected off each other and, and <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, good. then good. Fun. Uh, great. Uh, I've definitely enjoyed it. And I know our listeners will, will get something from it too. And if our listeners have any questions for you, What's the best way for them to get a hold of you or follow you on social media so they can follow your journey with your keynote, your book, and your business and everything else you've got going on? So I'm on LinkedIn, um, Wendy Eminger. You can find me on LinkedIn, or you can write me at wendyeminger at gmail.com. Uh, so those are the main ways. I'm also on Facebook, but to be honest, I don't use it as much um, as I used yeah. to. It's just kind of a communication so you know either through email or linkedin is probably the primary platform that i that i use awesome awesome well all the all the things we, we've discussed your and your linkedin profile and <clears throat> everything else i'll make sure are, are in the show notes 
Wendy, it's been great having you. Thanks so much. And until we speak again, stay safe and stay healthy. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.